And so we've been asking him, what is there left to do that we need to put in place as part of the preparation? God wants to lay a foundation for what he's going to do. So what he does is sustainable. We don't want to have a wineskin here, a structure, a church structure here that's inadequate to receive what God wants to pour out and then conserve that and, and be a house where, where God's power can, can flow. So part of what God has put on my heart to prepare today, for us, prepare us today, is having to do with probably the most essential ingredient of this outpouring that we're already in, and that's increasing, but that I believe at some point is going to just exponentially spike up. There's going to be an opening of heaven's power, and we're going to receive that. And then all heaven's going to break loose. And I want us to be prepared. I want us to be prepared intellectually so that we kind of know to the extent we can know fully what is going to be happening, that we have an understanding of it. We're not caught caught unaware. We're prepared emotionally. We're prepared for the amount of energy that it's going to take for us to sustain the move of God that's coming. You know, this fall festival is, I believe, part of that. It's the first time we've ever, as a church moved out in a major way and said, said you know, that we, we've been called back here the weirdos in the woods. I don't think we're that weird anymore, and, but we're still in the woods. But this is an opportunity for us to open our hearts and open our campus to the community around us and say, come on in, we want to we wanna serve you. We want to give Jesus to you in the many ways that he has revealed himself to us. So this is part of what's happening. But what I want to talk about is the most essential element of what God does is God himself doing it. So John the Baptist said, I've got to become less so Jesus can become more. So we have to get out of the way. We humans, in our human effort, our human planning, our human understanding that we can graft onto the world by means of our strategizing and our planning. It's always fine to make a plan after God reveals what he wants to do, but it's never good to make a plan that substitutes for the plan of God. And I don't want to do that ever, and that's a revival killer. If we try to seize hold of the work that God wants to do, And we think, well, we're going to help. We're going to, here comes the ark of God, the presence of God. Oh, it's leaning over a little bit. I think I'll just stick out my hand and steady it a bit. The arm of the flesh is not a good thing to extend into the things of God. I don't want to do that. I want to let God be God, but let's understand his ways. Let's understand that the most important thing 
that happens when, thank you, when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is given space. You know, when I go to other vineyards and other churches and I talk about how to bring the the gifts of the Spirit into a church service on Sunday morning, which interestingly enough seems to be a very weird idea to a lot of pastors. Let's let God be God on a Sunday morning. How odd is that? But they're interested. And I say the first thing that has to happen is leadership of the church has to make a decision to give space to the Holy Spirit to work. If we give him no space, it's going to be difficult for him to find a way in. And we don't want that. Man, I want to throw, throw wide the heavenly gates. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit. And so we want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be a two-parter today. We, we spent considerable time hearing about what God did at the Cecil County Fair through Pure Light Ministry. And that's only, that's only kind of a prototype. That's a, that's a great prototype. I'm not diminishing it at all. It's a great prototype. But it's the first of, I think, many different efforts by this body to penetrate our communities around about us in ways that are creative and spiritual and effectual. They're going to work. They're going to be of God. They're going to be from God. They're going to be for God. It's going to be great. So, I want to, I think I want to preempt myself. I'm going to change things up here. I'm still going to use the slides that you prepared for me, Lynn. Probably next week. (laughs) What? I made her prepare the slides this morning. You could have prepared them last night. (laughs) I can tell we're due for a talk after church. you know, what we do here at the barn and what we're going to be doing here at this church as well as many other churches that, that are participating in the, the raindrops of revival that are now falling on the church that will become a downpour in time. But what we're doing is we are essentially being used as the channels of God to release the amazing power and, and heart and compassion and love and transformational ability of God himself into everything around us. You know, the program of the church has got to be releasing God. I'd buy that book. <laughs> Program for your church. One sentence on one page. 
Let God be God. <laughs> so I want to read to you. This is where I'm going to preempt myself. What did I do with my glasses? Are they right down there somewhere? Ah, <laughs> ah yes. So spiritually minded, no earthly good. You know, we've had some themes that the Holy Spirit has kind of been weaving into us through the words. I love it. Don't you love it when the words kind of coalesce together that people give at the mic? Start out with tearing down walls. Then we had the testimony by Anne concerning all these amazing walls that got torn down at the Cecil County Fair. And then, and then Troy gets up and talks about the joy of the Lord. And, and that sparks me for I'm going to read you something that, that's really an, an historical example of an amazing out, outbreak of, of God's Spirit in the life of one person who, who was used by God in an incredible way. And that involves the joy of the Lord. And so all these things coalesce together because we're talking about we're talking about God coming and and revealing his very nature in our midst and us not putting a ceiling on that and us not putting uh, fleshly boundaries around what God is going to do but we want man you know if it's a choice between freedom or restriction church always choose freedom go for it If it's a choice between shrinking back or going forward into boldness, always go forward into boldness. How many of you know who Charles Finney was? All right. Charles Finney was a man uh, born in 1792, died in 1875, and so his ministry probably really was from about 1825 20, to 1875. This was the time of the Second Great Awakening, and Charles Finney was the chosen vessel of God who sparked, catalyzed, and then carried on, and other pe- people joined him, the Second Great Awakening this great revival that, that flowed throughout America. Primarily, he, he was focused on America. So he was a lawyer. He was educated in law school. He had no intention of doing anything with, with his life other than being a, an outstanding lawyer. He was a nominal Christian, but, and he was part of a church. In fact, he was the choir director of the church, unconverted, and um, at some point, the hound of heaven started chasing him. And so he became convinced of a divine reality that was kind of stalking him. And at one point, he responded and went out into the woods. Uh, I believe that he lived in Massachusetts at the time. So he was New Englander. And uh, he writes in his journal about going out into the woods and and dropping to his knees in a clearing because the Spirit of God had been working on him and and bringing him into a sense of vague conviction for his life. And he thought he was a believer, but but yet he he knew there was a gulf between God himself and, and, and Charles Finney the man. And so he knelt down in the clearing and he was converted. He gave his heart to God. And so a peace was in his soul, and, and the, the, the weight of accumulated sin was lifted off. And so he was, he was in a good place, 
a good place. And then he was walking back from, I think this happened during a noontime. And he had been in his law office in the morning, and at, in the noontime he went into the woods and he was converted. Then he walked back and he went back into his law office and he was the only one there. And this is the account in his journal of what happened to him then. And guys, what I'm about to read to you is what we, in an essential way, are all about here at this church. We want everyone whose life we touch in this church to experience what Charles Finney, a young, newly converted lawyer, experienced. And here's the account from his journal. But as I turned, he was in his law office, and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. That's a very famous statement from church history. Indeed, it came through me like waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. Remember that the word spirit is also the Greek and Hebrew word for breath. So the spirit of God could also be understood to be the breath of God. And that's what he said He experienced that somehow. I can recollect distinctly that this presence, this spirit, seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I wept aloud with joy and love. And this was a guy whose very nature was to be like a lawyer, was to be intellectual and analytical. And yet when this was this experience of God, the Holy Spirit, was occurring throughout his entire being, his emotions were awakened, and the warmth of God God's presence enveloped him and he just wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, and listen to this, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. What was that? Tongues. He doesn't say it. 
because this was way before Pentecost. I mean, not Pentecost, the Pentecostal revival. <laughs> the Pentecostal revival. But I believe that that's as close as he allowed himself to get in his journal. But I believe that the gift of tongues was welling up within him. The waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect that I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me, I said. Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism. Remember the word baptism means saturation or immersion. With this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me in this state of loud weeping. So probably about one o'clock, he went into his law office, sat by the fire, and boom, this amazing thing started happening to him. And now, what does he say? It's late in the afternoon? So this has been going on for hours. So this... Guy comes in, who's a member of his choir, comes into the office to see me and saw me in this state of loud weeping and said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? (laughs) And I could make him no answer for some time. He then said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could, and I replied, No, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office, and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church, whose shop was nearly across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man, and in my presence had been very watchful. And I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. And when he came in, I was very much in the state in which I was when the young man went out to call him. So the elder asked me how I felt. And I began to tell him, but instead of saying anything, he, the elder, fell into a most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for this man to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. (laughs) Toronto. (laughs) The laughing revival. So that's what he records in his journal. And the amazing thing, I know something about the life of Finney from that point on. He got up and I think it was a day or two afterwards, he, this, this experience that he'd had was noised about in his village, in his town. And the congregational church that he was a member of had a, like a Sunday night meeting or a Wednesday night or whatever. And the pastor asked Mr. Finney to come give testimony. And the entire town knew that this guy had gone through something amazing. And so they all, they all gathered And when Finney walked in, the whole place was packed. And Charles Finney opened his mouth 
and the power of God fell upon him in great oratorical ability. Remember, he was a trained lawyer. He was a public speaker. And he had known the scripture. He knew the scripture well, even at this point, And, of course, came to know it much better. But he opened his mouth. And I believe it was that particular time there were a number of people who came to conversion in, in Jesus Christ. And that was the beginning of a ministry that impacted hundreds and thousands of people in America. And the incredible thing about this man's ministry, because the power of God was so palpable in his life and, and continued to, to move through him just over and over again, is that I believe there's some astounding rate, like I think it's something like 80 or 90% of those who came to the Lord through Finney's ministry continued. They became members of churches and they continued on in the Lord until their death. 80 to 90% of all those who were converted. And that, evangelistically speaking, is an incredible, incredible um, positive rate, success rate in evangelism. So he had a remarkable, he transformed this man, because God in him, of course, but transformed the landscape of America. And I think it was at the second meeting where he spoke again. At that meeting, someone came and had heard about his experience and came with a loaded pistol and was going to kill him. But God intervened supernaturally and I don't know why it didn't happen, but it didn't happen. And it was, a, a fa- apparently, this was a true intention, but it was thwarted. <laughs> and I got to tell you another thing, too. I just want to tell you this. This just comes to mind. You guys know that, that this, the, the key spark of the first Great Awakening, John Wesley. You guys know John Wesley? You know who he was? <coughs> John was a little guy. He, by little guy, I mean in stature, he was small. He's probably like 5'5 five, five or something like that. He was not a very big man, and he was as bold as a lion. By the way, the interesting thing about John Wesley is that he also had an amazing empowering of the Holy Spirit. The night it happened, and it happened. this happened in England for him, and then he came to America and, the, and had an amazingly successful ministry in America, but also in England beforehand. It's called the Methodist Pentecost. He and a number of his companions were in the presence of God and praying and seeking God and worshiping late into the night, and I think it was 1 or 2 o'clock in the, in the morning that this, whoosh, this whoosh, the same type of power encounter happened in this room where John and Charles Wesley and, and many, of his, uh, many of their compatriots there at the university, they were university students at the time, and they were filled with the power of God. But Wesley was a little guy, and he was as bold as a lion. And the first time he was called to preach, he preached from a prepared text that he had, he had prepared notes from, and, and so he gave his first sermon. And from the second sermon on until the end of his life, and he probably preached literally hundreds of thousands of sermons. He never prepared a sermon after that first one. Now, he was always in the Word, and he always had Scripture being brought to him by the Holy Spirit so that he was not at a loss in terms of what to say, but he never prepared it. He just opened his mouth and spoke. That, told, that tells me that he was a prophetic preacher. And so he spoke from a beginning point. And this is the way we teach prophecy around here, isn't it? 
that we have a little heads up from the Lord. Most of us, anyway, have a little indication about what we're going to be saying when we, when we start to prophesy, but we open our mouths and we begin to speak. And when we speak something, God gives us something else. And then God gives us more and God gives us more. And this was the style of preaching. Anyway, back to my story about John Wesley. He was a little guy, as I keep saying over and over again. So at one time, in fact, I think this happened on more than one occasion, he was, a, he was quite a controversial preacher because he would challenge the ones he spoke to. And so uh, his, uh, his meetings would be advertised in a town ahead of time through uh, handbills that would be placed around and word of mouth. And so he was uh, preaching at one point and a crowd of rowdies, a crowd of rowdies showed up. And uh, they had... They had, uh, they had weapons. I mean, they didn't have guns, I don't think, but they had clubs and they had rocks. And at one point, they descended upon him and uh, kind of surrounded him and went to swing at him with their clubs and, and throw rocks at him. And he was so small that they actually threw over their head and they, they hit each other with rocks and they smacked each other in the head and they dissipated. They went away. Because they weren't allowed. The Holy Spirit did not allow them to touch him at all. They couldn't hit him. So you guys ready for this manifestation of revival? <laughs> Supernatural protection? Well, what's the scripture say? Those who believe. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick. If they pick up snakes, they will not be hurt. If they drink poison, they will not be hurt. There is supernatural protection for those who are in the center of God's will proclaiming the gospel of God. And if you happen to be martyred, then you just get promoted. You realize the gift of martyrdom is a gift you only get to exercise once. but it's a doozy. <laughs> so, this power of the Holy Spirit that Finney experienced, that filled him to overflowing and he was refilled. You know, in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just once, but over and over again, daily, many times a day, many times a week, be filled and filled and filled and filled. Why? Because we leak, but we can get filled again and filled again and filled up higher and filled up higher until we just walk in a zone of supernatural life all the time. Yeah. Woo! That's the normal Christian life. Anything below that subnormal. Normal Christian life is walking in the supernatural energia, the energy, the power of God. So we co-labor with him. We, he works, we work with him, and signs and wonders follow. Proclamation of the gospel. Remember, the kingdom of God, it does have words involved, but the kingdom of God is not a matter, says Paul, of talk, but it's a matter of demonstration, of action, of deeds, of doing and that's, this, is the, this is the beauty of the vineyard. You know, we don't talk a lot about the family of churches we're part of here, 
but we are a vineyard, and the vineyard was founded by this guy, John Wimber, who was absolutely convinced that when you go to church, you ought to see the stuff being done. You ought to see the healed getting well. You ought to see people who hear prophetic words that speak to their destiny and who they're going to be in God and break things off of them when these words come out of them, the mouths of a prophetic speaker. They're going to see the countenance of those people change and their lives transform through the power of prophetic words. But it's a matter of demonstrated power and transformation. And this is what this church is called to, and this is what this coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to be on steroids. It's just going to be an awesome time. You know what people have said. I mean, each, each revival historically has had a certain feature to it. If we can start with a Pentecostal revival, I mean, it was an incredible revival. But of course, the gift of tongues was rediscovered uh, at that. Not that it had been totally absent in other kind of outbreaks of the Holy Spirit historically. It was there a little bit off and on. But this major restoration happened at the turn of the 20th century during the Pentecostal revival. But also the power of God in signs and wonders. You know, the earth... The, some of you know this, that the Pentecostal people who received this amazing experience, Zusa Street in, in uh, uh, Los Angeles, California, they, they were so infused with God and so amazed by this gift of, of speaking in tongues and, and some languages were known and some were unknown, but some of them became so convinced that the power of God would be upon them miraculously that they, would, they, they determined to go on to the mission field into countries whose language they did not know naturally because they felt when they opened their mouth and spoke in tongues that the Lord would give them the language that the people needed to hear. That's called missions tongues. It's called, and, 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 and I, I don't know, you know how much that worked or how much it didn't work, but I know they felt it would work, and there was an amazing missions movement that was birthed out of that, but it was birthed in signs and wonders. And that's one historic outbreak. There are many, but you know, in the coming revival, God is going to take all of the different features of revival, and I believe he's going to pull them all together, and I believe he is going to download the great love of the Father that's another feature of what is being birthed in the earth right now, this incredible love of the Father that we talk about here, the Father's heart, and, 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 and that's going to be infused and kind of rounding it all out and saturating through all this, and there is going to be the emergence of such a powerful, Jesus-glorifying church that I believe that the whole world has never seen to the extent it's going to see in this next outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And we get to be part of it. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. God, we thank you so much for what you are doing. It's not that we're, we're saying God is going to do it. What he was going to do, he's doing now. And we thank you, Lord. And we pray for this boldness that we've talked about. We pray for more of your boldness in us. Lion of Judah, roar through your church. Lion of Judah, give us the courage of the lion. 
Jesus' name. Let us never shrink back in fear. In fact, whenever fear raises its head, let us determine to go straight into that fear and through it in Jesus' name. Let us never surrender to fear, but let us move forward in the courage of God. Let this church be filled, even as Charles Finney was filled with the mighty Spirit of God. Let us be filled and refilled and electrified and saturated and immersed and smeared with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And then let us go out and overflow to everyone. In Jesus' name. Amen.